of the Dumb and Dumbest Podcast, a music industry podcast where everything is terrible and the house is on fire. I'm Matt Bacon here with my beautiful co-host, Keith of Ghost Cult Mag. What's up? And our amazing guest, um, whose name I should have asked how to pronounce beforehand. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go for it. Billy Geogigan? Uh, it's Billy Gagan, but you're not the first. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay. How are you today, Billy? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I, I only realized, like, as I was in my intro spiel, I was like, I'm going to fuck it up. <laughs> oh, well. It's, it's, it's common. <laughs> um, so... Billy, so you um, you have kind of a long history in live music. For for those on the pod who are sort of not aware, can you kind of outline that for us? Sure, I've, I'm I'm super old for for anyone who should be independent still. Uh, but it, I, about 1984, I started playing you know live shows and kind of left home really early at the age of 15 and started in punk bands and went on to kind of discovered reggae and ska and went that route. But the one thing I've always done has been completely independent. And I'm probably, musically, I'm always the dumbest guy in the room, which is fine. But I'm also the one who is not afraid to call people, uh, keep track of bookings, do administrative things. You know, early on, it was like, what is publishing? All that kind of stuff is just, just being ahead of that. It's always kind of kept me kept me around. So I started just playing in punk bands and mostly live stuff. The first, I mean, I did recordings and stuff, but nothing ever got released probably for about five or six years. Um, played all over the country. Uh, bands ranging from, you know, people who have it together, people who are, you know, doing other means of... Uh, not really acceptable things using the band as a cover <laughs> and everything, everything in between. But it's the one thing, like I said, has always been a, a independent a DIY before DIY was even a thing. Um, and, and really just not being afraid, you know, to get rejected over and over and over when you're trying to get something done. So fast forward, what is that now? 30 God, my math is bad too, 30 something years. And, uh, you know, I'm still basically doing the same thing, just with a little more uh, um, patience, wisdom, if you want to give me that much. And um, a lot of what I do now outside of playing and participating is I do a lot of, uh, I guess it's consultation, but really in the, in the area of booking and almost um, band relations, if you will, because everyone, you know, it's it's a it's a weird world when you get into art and music and business and the way people are expecting things to get done, and I so I think that's a little bit of what you were asking me. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, what kind of format does something like that take? Like 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 booking consulting. How how does that look? 
Well, so I've, I've always done it for myself and for my other bands. In 1993, I started a small little micro label uh, called Mossbird Music. And we released stuff and, and eventually I booked tours for the bands and, and you know, the band that I played in. Um, and so moving on from there, fast forward to about 2010, and someone that I knew started a company called Brown Paper Tickets in about, what was that, about 2003 or something they started. And they actually contacted me and wanted to know if I had a gig or was looking for a gig. And they wanted to make me their industry person. And first they wanted me to be their specialist for the labels, you know, independent labels. And at this day and age, like, you know, it was 2010. So my, my one stipulation was, well, I'd be happy to get a paycheck, you know, that was steady doing the same thing I've always done. But you have to realize that everyone is a label. So I would be happy to do this gig for you, but it has to be open to any musician, any venue, anyone in the independent music world. And so so they, they had me as their music doer. And the reason, and this gets kind of a, a difficult thing to explain really quick, but it was part of their not just for profit business model, do good to the industries they work with. So I was basically a pro bono consultant, you know, with a good budget and able to go out and do lots of stuff. So I've done that for the last, what was it, eight years I was with them. And I got really used to you know, someone had a problem, no matter what it was, they would contact me and I would work through it with them. You know, a few people were longer term, but usually shorter term, like six month projects, I would consult them on. And it was always free. So it was, you know, there was never a lack of business because <laughs> everyone needs help. No one has any money. But the best thing about that is it let me operate without having to worry about um, any any kind of um, percentage selling out this guy so I could do something with this guy that was bigger and that it was truly happiness because I could get work done that I wanted to get done and do stuff for the good guys so now it's a little bit different because you know now I have to I don't have a salary anymore they went through some structuring issues and all that but I totally believe in the same thing so the way I look at things now is everyone needs help booking. You ask any any independent band out there, pretty much what they want is better gigs or I, I need booking. I want to go on tour. I need this, you know, and booking is the thing that no one wants to do just because it's if you if you aren't set up in a circuit already, it's very thankless and you get more no's and it's a lot of work. And it's, you know, I think just the the hurdle of getting started is is worse than any of it and i'm rambling again i apologize <laughs> no but this is good keith i think you had a question oh many um so <laughs> in, in in a lot of cases matt and i also you know fall under the realm of consulting <laughs> what do you find is the biggest misperception of what you do when you first meet potential clients oh i think that the a lot of people think I can just give them a number, a formula, or a simple answer. And they're looking, they're looking for me to fix something that pretty most of the time I don't have the power to fix because I don't have the information. And I, I guess that's the short answer. <laughs> that's a yeah. good short answer. <laughs> yeah. I like I mean, that short answer. 
Go, go ahead, Keith. You had a follow up. I thought. No, I was going to say I like the short answer. Um, the reason I ask, you know, obviously you want to secure work. That's part of what we do when you work, kind of, you know, as a consultant. Mm-hmm. You want to secure clients, but. Sometimes I just feel like there's a a, dis, a disconnect about what the work is. Uh, do you ever find yourself, you know, sort of uh, establishing why you have value and what value you bring if it's well, not apparent? Like, yeah, that's something that I'm working into now because I actually have, you know, I have to pay myself, right? And so before it was always like, look, I can help you. What's your objective? okay, let's work on that. And it could be anything. And that, that's kind of what was good because I didn't have to worry about my value or if they perceived my value. Because quite frankly, I didn't, you know, if I didn't like someone, I didn't have to work with them <laughs> or if I didn't like the way they perceived it. But, you know, these days it's a little bit different. And I think where it's starting, where my value gets recognized the most is with people that have been doing it mostly as players and haven't had to do the admin side. And so when they have me come in and they know that they run, run circles around me musically, but when I can come in and just say, oh, well, that kind of sucks. Did you think about this? Or what do you mean you haven't had, you know, you haven't gotten any money for any of this stuff you've been on? You know, let's, let's track it down and find out. And those people recognize because they have the biggest walls in front of them. Like, who do I call? Because they've never had to book a gig. They're just, they're just full-time players. And so that, that's the easiest way. With people that are like, hey, I want to conquer the world, I don't think I can make them see my value because they're just concerned with themselves. Sure. That's a, that's a really interesting way to put it. Where do you see the top place bands are losing money that they could be making? Oh, well. In, in terms of live, especially. Well, right. Right now, anywhere. (laughs) But but I think that that a lot of times they don't invest in their business. So they just want to go do gigs or they want to have stuff set up or they're, they're okay with playing anywhere or going overseas as long as they don't lose any money. And so I think they're missing with their losing out, establishing and expanding circuits because they're going about it the wrong way. And that's one extreme. The other, the other end of that spectrum, you have people paying for everything. I want to go to this seminar. I want to do this, 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 and this. And all of those seminars or workshops or conferences could be great. But if you don't have a plan or an objective for yourself, you don't have the questions to ask. You can't grab the informations of this, that are out there. So I think that, that they lose by not um, capitalizing on what, they're, what they want to do. And if that's not too vague. No, yeah, there's definitely people who think if they throw enough money at it, it'll, it'll work out. And it's like, well, you didn't spend any time engaging with your community or building or, you know, doing any of the 18 other things you need to do if you want this to work. Yeah. And then there's, there's also people, there was one gentleman I worked with for a while who all he, you know, he would get calls to do one-offs in Alaska, you know, on the East coast, on the West coast, in China, in Brazil, but he would go play one, two shows, and come all the way back with his whole band. So whoever would book them for these gigs would pay, you know, tens of thousands of dollars and not even that's before they paid for any for them. So 
my thought was like, why are you going all these places and not expanding that circuit? Why aren't you gone for three weeks or a month rather than three days? And he would not pay to play. That's how he would always put it. And I was just amazed because it's like, you have half the expense already done for you. You're out there. You know, and so I think some people will throw money at everything. And then some people just, I don't know if they don't get it or if they just want it all handed to them. I don't know that. Fair. Very fair. Um, And I think it becomes tricky because I think, I'm trying to find the right word here. It's just, because I've seen this happen, you know, where do you feel pay to play should fall in the scene in 2020? Well, I mean, pay to play to me is an interesting term because investing in your business is really cool. You know, meaning that if you, you know, lose money on doing a gig, but it has value somewhere else, that's fine. Um, I think pay to play, meaning I'm going to pay a club, you know, $500 so I can appear. You know, I don't know the, the if you can capitalize on that's great. Like buying on a tour, if you can capitalize on it and make it work, if it makes sense, that's great. Um, I think a lot of times there's problems because the people taking that money, you know, to get you on the tour, they're not really going to follow through with that. So I think every every case is a little little different. But I definitely believe in investing in your business. <laughs> Um, the term pay to play is, is a much uglier connotation to it, I think. <laughs> sure. And, and I always thought, I always found that interesting because it seems like, you know, there's obviously different types of pay to play. Like there's some people who refuse to, to, to play at a venue where they're told they're going to have to pay for the sound guy, yeah. for instance. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, someone needs to pay the sound guy and you're going to bring eight people. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I think that's a, that's a good point too, because, well, are you renting the house and are, is the bar just the bar or are you using everything that the venue has, you know, I mean, are you bringing your own sound guy? You know, I think those are interesting questions because, you know, if there's five bands, you know, and the, the bar is putting on the show and it's all a door deal. Well, then it's, you know, okay, you know, $200 goes to sound and lights and you guys get the rest. And if anyone, I mean, people have a problem with that sometimes because it's like, well, we should just get the money. You're making all this money at the bar. Well, even even if they had a good night that night, that those bands aren't there the other nights, you know, where they're not making money. So it's kind of hard to... to to judge a, a venue for like making you pay money for the light guy. If you know, you only brought eight people or if you brought 800 people, I mean, the next time you can negotiate that, if you brought 800 people and yeah, fuck you, you pay for the lights. You sold $5,000 in beer easy, you know, however that works. <laughs> sure. Keith, what are your thoughts? I think, you know, pay to play has gotten a very bad rap and I'm not advocating for pay to play. I think there are times when it's useful. Uh, bands are very often unrealistic about what their draw really is <laughs> and uh, what their value really is to a, a venue or a booker. Um, and I have, you know, in my past career before the dawn of social media and it was only email at the very beginning of it when I was still playing out. Um, 
you know, we paid to get on some shows. They were, we did them the right way and they were fruitful. I don't regret them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's kind of the equivalent of a photo release for a photographer. I don't advise that, you know, if you're not, you're uncomfortable with a thing, don't do it. Yeah. And if you are comfortable with a thing and gray areas don't concern you and you just want to grow brand awareness and play in front of strange, you know, some strangers and the people who bought your tickets, then go ahead. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I think obviously there are enterprises and people all over who are definitely taking advantage of bands, but I'm, I know it's unpopular to say this, but there are times when pay to play is appropriate and there are times when it isn't. Well, I, I, I think too, I mean, what's the difference between, you know, well, I mean, there are many differences, but I think I'm trying to, to when you get into the pay to play, well, isn't, you know, doing a tour, to the West coast or to you somewhere new where you've never been. That's, that's, you know, pay to play, isn't it? Yeah. So, so if you're doing that to expand your circuit, it's basically investing in your business. And, and it's the same as, uh, you know, if you're an opening band and you really, you know, well, no one's going to give a shit about us because we're the opening band. We're not getting paid. We're all going to spend money to be here. You know, once you get past the, ooh, we get to play on the stage with these people. Yeah, that's pay to play too. But if you capitalize on it and rock the five people that are paying attention to you, you know, you'll get, so it's, it's worth it because you're expanding your business. But yeah, I think you're right. There are, I mean, the old battle of the bands days, you know, that was everyone pays, you know, ends up making the guys rich by selling these tickets and you know there's no prize anything really blah 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 some sponsors even in some of those situations i think it was great for some bands but i think where where it gets bad is where uh you know you just don't have it together and can't capitalize on it and you know people people take advantage like you said so i have this theory with pay to play i kind of want i kind of want your input (laughs) Um, so, and it's kind of a, it's kind of a silly theory. Um, but essentially my, here's my, I kind of feel like the reason pay to play is in selling tickets before shows started was because like you said, bands tend to be fuzzy about their draw and they lie about it a lot. And it and that's why people started doing pay to play was because they were like, well, you people keep being dishonest about how much they're worth and I keep losing money. And I, but I want to pay them, but they're fucking me over from a promoter perspective. Yeah. Does, is that basically accurate or is that like something I made up? Well, I mean, I see that, but I also see that, that, you know, to argue against it would be like, well, you're booking this venue, right? You know, your venue, you know, you, you have to have some kind of responsibility for, you know, what, how much you get, how much you count sure. this band to bring, you know, sure. are you counting on them bringing 600 people? Then you should just, you should kind of know that. <laughs> no. Yeah. And that's also very fair. You know, I, I mean, I was referring more at like a very low level. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, well, exactly. I mean, I think the, the, the same thing that the reason that, that, um, selling tickets can work for a band is because everyone will go see their friend, their boyfriend's friend, their boyfriend or girlfriend's family. Everyone will come and see them one time, right? So if you can sell, you know, a band will, yeah, I, you know, first time playing at this local place, I could probably sell 50 or 100 tickets, no problem. You know, but that second or third time, you know, if, if, if the, if, there is no guarantee that those people will come back, but I guess that's the risk in any case. So, you know, it, it's, 
I think it's just a way for the venue to probably be a little more sure that they're not going to you know, have to pay the bartenders out of the pocket. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Um, and then another thing I want to kind of dig into real fast. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry for hogging all the time, Keith, but basically what I was kind of curious to ask is like, um, so, so you, you mentioned something very interesting to me. You said a lot of bands are kind of fuzzy in what their draw is. How should a band figure out what their draw is? Well, if they, if they have any kind of awareness of, I mean, if they're going into somewhere new and they don't have any, you know, any reason to be there other than they want to like take over that area, they, they can look at some analytics, like where things sell, stuff like that. If they, you know, look at their social media, but um, it's going to, unless they've been there before, it's, it's kind of a, you know, well, we're going to find out, you know, if they have connections there, people that have helped promote there, or they're paired with other bands that they know do well to break in, you know, those are, those are ways to tell, but, you know, I don't think there's a really sure way unless you've been there, you know, how it's going to pan out. I mean, you can, you can guess and have an educated guess, but I mean, it's, I wouldn't, you know, that's a hard one to answer for me. I mean, other than just looking at analytics and giving you like, hey, you know, we sold this many here, these many people view us in this region, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Other than that, that's a hard one for me to answer. Very very fair. Uh, Keith, uh, you had a question around this? Yes, I do. So let's dial it back for one second and say – a band wants to work with you. What are three things you want to see from a band that wants to work with you? And what are three definite deal breakers? Uh, the first one is a, an objective. Like, what do you want to do? You know, cause I think the one thing I got in the habit of doing is like more short term campaigns or commitments. So I'm not like, Hey, I'm going to handle everything. Fellas just, you know, go get high. I'll let you know when you got money. You know, that's, that's, that's a deal breaker. If I, if I think of anything like that is going on, but the objective is really it. Like, what are we doing? And then the next thing is like realistic expectations is the second thing. And then the third thing, and I think this is actually half the first two are more important than this, but you know, all of their stuff together, do you have, you know, do you know what a press kit is? Do you have some kind of music that we can market? You know, do you have an idea of social media, stuff like that? Cause if they don't have that, that can kind of be put together. That can, that can be, you know, um, not manufactured, but that can be consulted. You can make that happen, but just not knowing what they want to do and not having a realistic expectation or not being willing to hear what maybe a more realistic expectation should be. Um, that's, that's, that's the, those three things are kind of what I want. Deal breakers are just, you know, if they don't want to hear it, if they're just throwing money at this because they think it's going to help them, you know, cause I'm not, it's, you know, consultant is a consultant, you know, you're not really doing much. That's the joke, right? Oh, well, you're a consultant, but what do you do? Um, so they have to be willing to do it. I mean, most, a lot of people who want booking people for booking, they want them to handle everything and that's great. But if you lose that person, then you have no control of the information or the contacts. And so that kind of goes on both sides. So I guess that's one deal breaker or maybe two. Sorry. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I think that that was a really good question. 
it's about sort of something I was wondering. And like, so let's say you're a newer band of trying to figure this out, right? What should some of your goals look like? Well, I, I would think of for a campaign, well, it's like, all right, we want to release a record. We have this record. Can you help us, you know, get it out and support it with a small tour? Um, so that's a, that's a good goal, you know, like, well, we're going to work on this. And so then after that, it just kind of lines up. Uh, that would be an expectation of, I would kind of let them know, well, you're going to release this record and you can work really hard. And if no one's heard of you yet, maybe you won't have 500 copies in your closet, you know, and that's kind of old, old school because no one has 500 records anymore. Um, but the, it's I would have tell them to expect a lot of hard work <laughs> and a lot of rejection because everything else will be will be a pleasant surprise. But the expectation of just, you know, do, you know, get it out there and do it, release the record, you know, a year, a year of your life and uh, not a lot of money unless you get lucky and really work hard. Not, that's certainly fair. Um, Keith, did you have a follow up? I do. Um, so he, he, here's another, and I'm sorry, we we're just barraging you with stuff, but, um, you know, I think again about the internet age and I see a lot of bands that think just putting a Facebook event page is enough to promote their own show. No. What advice can you give to a band? Like what is the bare minimum you expect a band to do to promote their own show, whether it's using social media or not? Oh, man. Well, just anything, whether it's like, hey, I put up 10 posters or I put up an event on Facebook or I did that. If it's just a, I just did that. Well, no, that's that's not going to work. I mean, how many Facebook events? I would ask them, well, how, on your Facebook account today, how many Facebook events did you get, you know, invitations to or whatever? I mean, I think I'm missing something every five minutes. You know, I don't I can't tell you what they are. I, I think the important thing is is just put in the work. So if it's, you know, making a little 30 second, five second, two minute promo video and pushing it out there, you know, if, if, you know, paying five or 10 bucks to promote in a certain area, even on Facebook or wherever is pay to play. Well, maybe you should pay that much, you know, um, putting up posters, talking to people, radio. I mean, I know people don't listen to radio anymore, but it takes, you know, an hour of your time to go do it. And some people listen and, you know, it's like, you know, you're actually performing there for a minute in stores, anything you can get local, getting on a new show at 6 a.m. Everyone hates it, but you're working. You know, you need, I think that people need to do everything they can do and they can think of because that's, you know, if you get five extra people because you spent, you know, a, you know, all your morning way too early and heard the horn players bitching at you about it because you went on a local news, well, that's five people that you didn't have before. So, and I, that's just, it's really ugly and rude, but, you know, that's, that's the world independent music is. <laughs> No, I, I, I agree. I think, you know, like, like I think you look at, uh, we, we were talking about this the other day, how like Motley Crue, like despite the fact that they're like the most successful band of their generation are still hustling like motherfuckers. Yeah. yeah. You know, and like all those, re and I appreciate that there's like opportunities offered to sort of bands from the eighties just because they are from the eighties. But like, all those guys who are still around are fucking going for it. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, like it's crazy to me. Well, it was a, there's a great, there's a great documentary um, called let's rock again. And it's about Joe Strummer after the clash. And it's really great. Cause it isn't like a, a a tribute or anything, but there's a few scenes where he's out trying to get people come to his show. I mean, this is Joe Strummer of the Clash, and he's on the boardwalk in I think it's Atlantic City, you know, handing out handwritten flyers like, "Hey, come come see our rock show tonight." And and yeah, a lot of that was done for effect, but it was in the show how punk rock he still is, but it's just work. I mean, and that's what everyone does. Just like everybody plays to empty rooms. You know, you you got to put in the work for all of it. I think I don't know if that's if that's just old school. Like you know, if you you know if there's if there's time to lean, there's time to clean philosophy, or what? <laughs> no, um, that that's fair. Because uh, because we I don't want to take too much of your time. You obviously we've been on this podcast for a minute now. Um, where do you how do you target your when you're building ads for a tour or a show or whatever. Excuse right? me, Ed, you, you broke up right there. I'm sorry. When you're building social media ads uh-huh. for a tour or a show or what have you, what's your strategy? How are you targeting them? Well, I, it, for me, I usually refer to, there's other people who do that for, for the bands or whatever. And, and I have to look at it and everyone's different. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have a couple of people I always go to with social media stuff. And now that I met you, I'd probably come to you. <laughs> you know, that's, not, that's not one of my biggest, uh, social media is not one of my biggest strengths. So I have to be straight up with that. Um, and partially because it changes every five minutes. Yeah. It, it seems like there's always some, oh, you use this, you know, my kids laugh at me. People are like, oh, you're on this. I'm like, what's that? You know, so, so that's, I mean, I've, I hear, I hear once in a while people talking about it and it's really interesting to me because you, you have like a full-time job just keeping up with stuff that goes on with that. So for me, I think it's just like any campaign, you know, whether it's old school flyers or radio or social media, there's a lead, there's an initial, you know, then there's a little bit out the day of. One thing that I used to, you know, really preach to people hardcore was, you know, bundling, you know, like, uh, like what if you want to call it fan club tickets or special giveaways or something with with your ticket in your campaign for a show or a tour because it gives you another reason to talk about the show or the record if you want but mostly i put it with shows so if it was like hey you know we're gonna offer this special thing you know kind of premiums or whatever to with your show tickets or even just you know we're gonna offer this merchandise for this show i think it's important not to just pollute with, hey, we're playing this show like every five days or whatever. But if you can have a reason, then every every little piece of, you know, ad time or, you know, um, email blasts or whatever you want to call it or whatever you're using, I should say, it makes sense. So I think the main thing is the target and have the purpose. Just running like just putting out five million posters doesn't mean anyone's going to show up. It's it. I think it has to be targeted as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that, that stacking the value is definitely um, a key. Uh, Keith, do you have any sort of final questions here? Yeah. Sorry about the motorcycles of Brooklyn behind me. Um, (laughs) Matt and I both come from the school of 
flyers still rule. Mm-hmm. Um, how important is good flyer art to you? And have you seen a flyer for a show you were working on with a band and rejected it or said, nope, not this? Um, I, I fucking, I think flyers are, are very important. And I love poster art, flyer art. Have I rejected one? I, there was one I should have rejected. It was uh, for, a, for a thing called Do Doozy White Boy in the Crack Band. They played in Upland, California, and they played at Al's Bar in L.A. When that, I, don't even, I don't think Al's Bar is there anymore. But they had, I love the poster from a punk rock thing, but it, the name of the thing was Do Doozy White Boy in the Crack Band. And the place, not at Al's Bar, but the other place more inland in L.A. County, you know, they didn't put one poster up because the word crack was on it. And this was, this had to have been 89 or 90. <laughs> so that one stands out. <laughs> yeah. I like that you're holding on to that for 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but there, yeah, oh, you got to hold on to that one forever. Cause it's just, a, you know, it's, oh yeah, it looked great. I liked it. I, I thought it was, you know, I, I understood it. I knew it wasn't meant a bunch of crackheads were showing up, but no one else did. So I think it's, you know, more of a, if you have to explain it, it's, it's too much, you know, where it's just not right. But I know, I think that poster art and, and flyers and is, is, it's just kind of like your merch setup. I mean, anything you can do with merchandise that is not, that is not just like, Oh, there's a CD. Oh, there's a t-shirt. You know, anything that's, that stands out is going to be great. And I think that's what started rock posters. It wasn't because artists were like, Hey, I just want to do these posters for rock bands. I think rock bands started encouraging and paying people to do it because it, it elevated it. it. You know, that's with it with, um, I think at all levels, it elevates it. I, I see merchandise some days that are incredible. I mean, there's whole books tied with a CD or these incredible you know, posters that are put with records and it elevates the music. So even if people don't give a shit about your music, they might like your poster, they might show up or they might relate to something. So I, if that's, if that's kind of what you're getting at, I, I wholeheartedly agree. No, that's uh, yeah, that, 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 that's super fair. As we wrap up, where should people be finding you and checking you out? What do you kind of have to push? Oh, well, right now, I think if you can, if you want to get me, just, just call me, email me. There's a website under construction and you can get into it still and it should be complete in the next month or so. So I'm a little premature speaking to anyone, I guess, but it's uh, the musicdoer.com and um, you can go there and email me however you want. And really it's, it's uh I feel bad because, you know, I was, I heard some of the, the past podcasts and I was like, oh, right, they want to, what are we going to talk about? And then you go right, right to business, which is awesome because that's what people want. But I was hoping to, to you know, uh, maybe bullshit and swear more. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that sounds like a plan. <laughs> All right. Well, sorry, fellas. No, this is awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, This has been Dumb and Dumbest, and you have been listening. Are we done yet?